welcome back to Bite Side. We took a week off. We refreshed. We reinvigorated. <laughs> we skipped dealing with Budget Australia, <laughs> and and instead came back to the other tired occasion, which is all things Apple. But Nick, how are you? Oh, look, I'm really good because once again, uh, all of my life decisions have led me to the point where I'm not up at four a.m. wondering what Apple's done. I'm up at twenty past four for my normal work day instead. Yeah, you know, I mean, like normal it's things. now quite comfortable for you to get up at that time. I imagine because it's normal. It is, it is. But look, you know, let's crack straight into it because we've got a lot to get through today. What did happen with Apple? Give me the rundown. And do people need to be thinking about a new phone yet? Yeah, you know what? I think this is actually one of the best years for a new phone in a long time. You know, we've had a lot of years where it's been like, it's almost all been just under the hood improvements and... You know, I think Apple's always had that strong case of because they're designing their own chips and they've been doing an amazing job of it and they've been able to point to double-digit improvements in you know, processing speeds and, and graphic speeds and all that sort of stuff. And they've got all that again, but the the design of the phone has changed for the first time in quite a while. Um, back to having kind of the, the flat edge back like in the iPhone 4 kind of days. Oh. Um, and in that process, sort of pushing that screen right out, kind of flush to that edge in a sense, so that, again, it's that sense of saying, all right, they can fit more screen into the same body size. Um, so, yeah, I think they've been really pleased with the progress on that. And it's one of those things where there's a lot of people who do feel like going, I want my phone to look different. I want to conspicuously have upgraded. And this is one of those years. People will leave the shop going, look, this is definitely one of the new ones. It's not last year's. It's not the year before. Um, you know, as vain as that might be, some people like that. Um, it's funny. We've all, always had an argument in our household because I know sort of Sally doesn't really like those flat-edged phones. Uh-huh. Um, and she's on her upgrade cycle this year. Like it's been about four or five years. Um, and it was like, oh, Sal, I'm so sorry. <laughs> They've changed it to the flat edge again on you. <laughs> but uh, we've got, yeah, the flat edge design. Uh, we've got four new phones. That's a lot. I've, That's a lot. Yeah. And it's, so it's essentially the two types, iPhone 12 and then iPhone 12 Pro. Okay. But then within within the two of those, then you've got the two sizes. So you've got the new one, which I think is actually going to excite a lot of people, is the iPhone 12 mini, which is scaling back down a little bit, getting into that, you know, I think everybody loved the phones getting bigger and you can go and get your, like, whacking great iPhone What's the iPhone screen size now? Is it over Pro six inches yet? Max, yeah, it's like a six point, yeah, wow, four inch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wow. Um, whereas even in the mini, though, it's like a five point four inch screen, I think. Um, but again, it's just because it goes all the way out to the edges now and all that sort of jazz. Um, but you've got all those options, and like the main iPhone 12 and then the iPhone 12 Pro are basically exactly the same size, just one of them has you know, more cameras, more stuff. Uh, but I feel like the biggest feature of the event, and it really is one of those things that I think is going to develop a whole ecosystem of accessories again, which kind of hasn't been a thing for a long time, uh, is this MagSafe feature on the back of the phone. So that's 
essentially a shift in that thinking around sort of wireless charging um, where, you know, you will still be able to put it on any traditional wireless charger, but they've kind of acknowledged that idea of saying when you first put it down, it often, if you haven't put it kind of in just the right spot, you kind of have to slide it back and forth a bit to kind of see the light switch on, all that kind of stuff. So they basically added a magnetic uh, circular attachment onto the back of the phone, invisibly just embedded into the phone, and there will be new MagSafe-compatible accessories you know, directly from Apple, but I have no doubt lots of third parties, for things like doing a charger that it kind of snaps into the right place. Mm. And then at the same time, also creating things like new uh, car mounts that have that magnetic attachment in them. Or even just having a kind of leather wallet on the back that kind of you can put some cards in, but without having to do the whole case again, which I know, you know, some people do, some people don't want that. But being able to just have this little snap-on magnetic leather backing that lets you put a few cards in... Um, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen. And I know there's already been companies that have sort of specialized in, and they're the ones who are probably, you know, absolutely crying today because they've been making those cases that have that kind of magnetic thing on the back and then accessories that kind of interoperate. Remember Wally way back when? Oh, that made like iPad cases that were magnetic and stuff oh, like that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, now I do. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, it's like, that just being embedded in the phone, so you don't even need to think about it. You just know that these magnetic accessories are going to work nicely and they'll charge it or they'll you know, hold onto your phone or whatever kind of extra feature that might give you. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff, of course, but, but just, you know, just one um, second on the, the magnets. big things that leap out. On the magnets, one second. You know that no matter how safe it is, there will be a hotel key that will stop operating if it's anywhere near it. Hotel keys are yep. the worst for that. They only need to be near a regular phone, let alone a bloody magnet, and they'll stop working. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're so right. <laughs> I wonder if, like, I wonder if there'll be that thing of, you know, the official MagSafe wallet that kind of attaches to the back, you know, has like a shielding inside that little leather wallet they'll thing. They'll have to, just for safety's sake, surely. Yeah. But what I'm partly thinking then is, you know, then there'll be the, the cheap, you know, knockoff MagSafe wallet that totally isn't, Shielded. <laughs> the other thing I've been hearing from this morning's announcements, no power brick anymore coming with your phones. Or, or not power yeah. brick, not the correct term, but the plug. They've given those the flick, which I find really interesting. Yeah, this is it is. It's huge. And I felt like they made like they spent a lot of time on the details of that to try to really sell it to people for, you know, the environmental um, improvements yeah. that that can bring. Yeah, clearly, there's cost savings for them. You know, they haven't kind of said, and we're charging you $30 less this year because we're not making extra stuff. Um, but one of the big ones that jumped out was apart from sort of saying, you know, they were like, there are 700 million sets of lightning earbuds that are already out there in the world. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, people have plenty of these things. You don't need another set of them each time you upgrade. Um, and then same with, you know, all the power adapters over the years. Um, but one of the things that I thought they emphasized well was that the reduction in the size of the boxes to distribute the phones means they can fit so many more phones onto the same shipping container that that just in the shipping kind of carbon cost of shipping alone, it's the equivalent of almost half a million cars off the roads every year. 
because of the volumes that they move. You All know? right. So All there's things right. like that where you go, okay, there's benefits. I totally can understand why some people are going to be a bit shirty about it um, because certainly if you're reselling it, you kind of feel like you should be, you know, reselling it or, you know, what upgrade or, yeah, what do you call it? Yeah, passing it on to someone else in your family or whatever. It, it might get tricky, but most of us who've been through a few generations of smartphones at this point, there's a draw where we have a bunch of disused power adapters do you i i think Look, i of course i do kept six and thrown out a bunch more of course i do but how many of them are usb-c because that's what i'm also hearing that the cable coming in the box will be usb-c to lightning bolt not yeah. usb-a look, that's a really str- yeah that's a really big point um i hadn't thought about that one as much but you're right it's like if you're upgrading from mm-hmm. you know three or four years ago then you definitely you aren't don't on that usb-c cycle so you're right. You're going to need one, and my, and Apple will be happy to sell you one. I'm sure they will be. Don't I'm doubt. Sure they will be. <laughs> look, obviously, huge amount going on there, and look, Apple. It's very rare they disappoint. Um, what about the other one? People were talking to me about today is apparently a lot of processing changes in the camera. Yeah. So two really cool things um, is one is that they're putting lidar into the. Uh, the Pro. Wow. Um, so that's what they'd started last year in one of the in the iPad Pro. So that's you know using the like laser. I can't remember what it stands for off the top of my head, um, but it's basically you know for doing really detailed mapping of mm. the room you're in, um, and by putting that onto the the like the back where the good cameras are, that you can now get that kind of depth element uh, recorded into the phone that the way, you know, when we've all the selfie cameras have gotten those depth mapping things across, you know, lots of different phones these days. Um, Putting the LiDAR on there, yeah, means you're now getting that mapping on your good cameras. And one of the big things they showed that off for was for getting portrait mode in night photography, which is something that's been really difficult. But because LiDAR can can get that sort of signal back with, you know, it's a, basically a laser array. Um, it's getting that depth map back so that it can actually do the nicely, you know, bokeh backgrounds on your night shots and all that sort of stuff. So that's really cool. And then the fact that, yeah, that the A14 Bionic chip is what the latest one is called. They're down to a five nanometer chip process. Like they are beyond, you know, like, you know, Intel's wow. I know been struggling to kind of, make nine stick and they're trying to get to seven um and apple's doing five nanometer they said that this year has actually created a 50 percent graphics improvement year over year which is nuts 50 percent year over year should be nearly impossible that's actually amazing yeah completely so like really really impressive stuff and then um off the back of that they've pointed out that this is going to be like the first yeah, mobile device, but almost like anything that isn't a seriously powered laptop, the iPhone 12 Pro will be able to shoot, not just watch, Dolby Vision 10-bit HDR 4K video at 60 frames a second. They're saying this can now shoot it and edit it on the ca- on the phone, which really is kind of getting into that edit nuts territory. on the of, phone. Yeah. Being able to edit, like... And that's like, you know, that's like 10-bit, 
stuff. Like it's just, it's really, really wild to be able to do that on a phone. And it's like, it just makes me actually really excited for when the laptops and the iMacs come out later this year with their own chips, because it really feels like uh, the best way, I can't remember who it was, but someone else pointed out that it's like, they're able to do all this stuff and they have, it's all passive cooling in the phones and in the iPads. Imagine when they can turn these chips up because they've now got a fan on it. It's like this stuff is going to scream. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what those numbers look like when they come through. Look, I don't want to get too mired down in this, but just yeah. to duck back really quickly, do you remember Intel's RealSense, the 3D camera? Remember that from about yeah. five years ago? Uh, the dual camera system that could actually be used to map out a 3D room uh, or you could point it at a box and it could give you the exact dimensions of that box? Yeah. Wasn't that great? Whatever happened to that? Wasn't that meant to be on the back of every Windows phone that was coming our way? Oh, man. Yeah. And the, I mean, it was funny. The, the LiDAR stuff that they showed in just the little kind of snippets of clips, you were like, yeah, they had like perfectly mapped rooms in that. And there was even, I noticed that the PR sent out a thing earlier that there, uh, there was a company that was highlighted that used to like take them ages where they would go and do like a perfect cardboard mapping out of of a laboratory space like uh. to help somebody work out exactly how they were going to do a fit out for a laboratory and that you know you want to get that perfect and so they would do these cardboard mock-ups um, and now they're able to use like the lidar tech on the iPads and stuff and now obviously on the phones and suddenly they can do this like way faster and then it turned out it was actually an Australian company so it's like I yeah, keen to catch up with them uh, sometime soon, hopefully, because it's like that's really cool to kind of see how, like we always we're always waiting for what's the actual clever use for some of these technologies now that we get them. Because of course we you know didn't bother mentioning it because it is the most boring thing. It's five G. It's going to be five G. <laughs> you know, it's like that's going to be nice in a few years' time when we start to work out what that's helpful for. But yeah, really exciting when you see hardcore industrial uses for stuff, but now available in perfectly, you know, normal high-end phones. Yep. Really and cool. Look, there's no need to talk about pricing. We know at the top end it's going to make your eyes water. That's just what it is. If that's what you want, that's what you get. That's the end of the world. That's how it is now. Go on with it. Let's stop talking about just how much yeah. phones cost, please. It's just, yeah. it is. It's what phones cost. Um, a bit of a change here because this isn't exactly news, but we've been having a bit of a chat um, on uh, the breakfast show I do on the ABC Western Plains about electric vehicles. And it kind of just got me thinking about EV and country areas. Now, it all came on the back of, of a couple of colleagues of mine uh, doing a bit of a yarn, a bit of a package about grabbing an electric vehicle and doing a trip from Sydney to Wagga Wagga, essentially trying to say, is it true that electric vehicles can only be used in the city? And of course it's not. Of course, NRMA have been making a big push. They want their fast charging network. Uh, they're saying that the end plan will be a fast charging, a fast charging station every 150 kilometres from Sydney to Burke. That's a big distance and that's amazing if they can make that work. It really is. But so we did a bit of talk back on it. What was really interesting is is there's still a lot of, I think, misbranding around what electric vehicles can do. People were like, well, I'm not going to buy one until it can get at least 500 kilometres on one charge. 
Well, of course, you can get about six fifty on an average yeah. vehicle these days. No issue whatsoever. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to get one uh, while it still takes hours to charge. Well, of course, fast charging stations, yeah, it's not as quick as putting petrol in it. But, yes, you can charge them pretty quickly. Um, I heard it's too expensive to use fast charging. How much is the uh, charge going to cost me? Well, most places aren't charging. They're actually making their yeah. money out of the parking that you have to do while you're charging. Um, <laughs> but also, I think someone had run the numbers and suggested that from a completely empty battery on a 40-kilowatt car to full is probably about $16. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And it was just really interesting to see all that misinformation. And one of the big ones, and I find this remarkable, is that electric cars have got no guts that they can't be used to push into rural road areas. You can't get the speeds on them. Of course, that's the exact opposite. We know that the talk exactly. on these things has been... What, They're all talk. They're all talk. <laughs> They're all talk. It's it's actually offensive at times. I'm not still on my... I am still on my P's. I'm not legally allowed to drive most of the electric vehicles because yeah. <laughs> they're actually too powerful for a green <laughs> pea plater. Um, now, uh, we had a big conversation with a chap who's in town called Matthew Dickerson. Matthew's an ex-mayor. Um, he's a big tech guru. He One of the great things about doing my job is I'm not the guy talking tech on radio anymore. He does that with me, which I really, Excellent. really enjoy. Uh, he writes for CRN. He's a well-known figure. And he's an electric car evangelist. He proudly told me today that there is not a single petrol motor in his house anymore. Not on the, not on the mower, uh, not on his hedge trimmer, not on any of his three cars. Nice. He's given the hybrid <laughs> the flick. And it's just really interesting. And obviously, you know, this is... The the barrier here is still the price. These are super expensive compared to what you can get with a regular car. But it's intriguing to me to see that people still think that there's just no go in them or they can't make the distance when actually there's no issue with driving them around country areas. And, of course, the other big one is what about the roads? You can't handle it. Well, we know in the US right now there's you know so many electric SUVs and utes being made at the moment, but until there's a market out here, no one's going to be pushing them out. Anyway, it was just a bit of a random chat, and I, I, I know Dubbo has a weird relationship with electric vehicles, certainly courtesy of Dicko to a large degree. We've got a Tesla charging station just down the road. A number of hotels have got them built in and proudly advertise them. What's your area like? Do you see many electric vehicles around? Jeez, actually, yeah. There are, like, there's a good handful of Teslas that I see around the area on a regular basis. So definitely a bunch of those. Um, Like, I can't think of anywhere that specifically is promoting the charging side of things. Um, I feel like there might be, I would imagine, like, a couple of the wineries around here would probably have that sort of setup. Uh, But, uh, you know, I haven't seen it floating around. I definitely know that, yeah, Goulburn is one of those well-known ports of call. If Mm -hmm. you're doing the long runs, uh, you know, heading to Canberra or to Melbourne or anything like that, that that's kind of one of your good stopping points. Uh, And then from there, you'd probably next stop at Albury or something like that. Um, But yeah, look, the big thing that always hits me with, with this question feels like like Australia is just so deeply conservative in our media approach to some of this stuff. Yes. Like, but not just, I guess not just the media approach either, like the sense of, like the self-fulfilling aspect of saying, well, Australians only want something that does this, this and this. So we, we don't know how to market this new thing to them, even though it does do this, this and this. Like there's that idea of, well, we would just feed the preconception because that keeps people happy rather than, 
showing them the exciting new thing. And while people assume that the market isn't ready, then those companies aren't going to bother trying to sell those kinds of vehicles more broadly. Because you're right, we're a long way behind in terms of the variety of vehicles on the market. It is pretty much Tesla and then a couple of other you know, I think the Leaf was making a push in for a little while with Nissan, but I'm not sure yeah. how far they got. But the, yeah, there's not that big kind of range that you see in the yeah. US. And yeah, as so, yeah, I think it's disappointing at the moment. But you're right; like all those questions have answers. And then it's like, well, why is it that people don't understand that at this point? Yeah. And look, as for distance, I, I just remember when I was back in Caratha, I interviewed a bloke called Jace. Uh, Jace was the first person in Australia to get his Model X Tesla from Sydney to Perth and back, and he reckoned it was an easy, easy run, no issue at all. That's that's really cool. I mean, right? Yeah, that I would was, absolutely was be sitting here going, but what about the Nullarbor? <laughs> as he said, he just when he stopped, he'd plug it in for a bit, grab a cup of coffee, yeah. take his time. And no, you're right. You know, there is not the speed, but this is something that can be done. Anyway, it was just one of those weirdly interesting chats to me today. For me, it's always going to be the cost. I just cannot see myself actually affording an electric vehicle uh, working for Auntie in the near future. But we know that until we get a market for it, those prices aren't going to come down. At the moment, they are a rare luxury item. They don't need to be and they shouldn't be. Yeah, no, that's true. Look, Nick, let's move on to exciting fun when you aren't driving all over the countryside in your electric vehicle and instead you're playing games at home. I love because, playing games. Uh, do you? I do. I love playing games. Oh, well, guess what? <laughs> last week they uh, handed out a whole bunch. Last week was the you know, virtualized version of Melbourne International Games Festival. Very, very sad that we were not all in Melbourne having yeah. a lovely time, heading to PAX and all that jazz. Uh, but, yeah, the awards must go on. So they did hand out the uh, Australian Game Developer Awards. Uh, did you tune in at all for the live event? Look, I didn't. It was a little late for me, but I was actually a of judge course. this year. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah, I was a judge for it this year. Um, was absolutely blown away by what I was looking at, to be honest, and um, was very happy to see some of the things I judged um, get in for, well, Nominations and shortlisted, obviously, but um, sadly, no wins. Ah, um, look, I think the, I mean, it's a great point as well that the the quality of the stuff really is um, quite amazing. And when you sort of look at the things that are in those winning categories, you start to realise actually that a lot of these games, like actually, are yeah, you know, world leading games mm. in their classes you know it's not just like oh the little plucky aussie awards you know like we're amazingly capable in this industry and of course let's not worry about the fact that the government is not good at supporting it <laughs> um that comes up often enough it I does just brought it up again it does uh, yeah but you know big congratulations league of geeks the makers of armello and who i know are also secretly working on another new project that they can't talk about yet um but they were the winners of Studio of the Year. Uh, and then Game of the Year was won by Moving Out, which is from Sydney's SMG Studio, um, which really is. Like, if if you have not checked out Moving Out, you have to go and do it. It's somehow like, you know, Ikea meets Overcooked. Oh, that's like, cool. 
That's yeah, really you're, cool. You're literally trying to move furniture in and out of a house, but it's essentially a physics problem because you're trying to fit things in and out or you're trying to beat the clock and therefore some things you might discover if you throw it out the window, it'll go, it'll get to the, to the truck faster. Like there's just all sorts of really bizarre fun and it's totally co-op. So it's, yeah. Really great stuff, but heaps of awards in there. I like Boomerang Foo, another gorgeous one that was nominated across a whole bunch of categories. Um, and that is just super simple where you're basically lots of different vegetables and fruit and you're throwing boomerangs. Sure. Uh, and it's just like that total weird little deathmatch kind of vibe. Um, and it's just, you know, one hit and somebody's dead. And it's hilarious and fun and colorful and just completely lovely. But Heaps of really cool games. Did anything jump out at you? Oh, look, I actually one of the things I, I was a judge for was um, Roombo, which is kind of a um, uh, straw dogs meets Home Alone meets robot vacuum cleaner. Um, I, there's no other way of describing it. It was hilarious. It was bloody. It was violent. It was adorably cute. The music was great. Um, I ended up playing it on Switch for quite a while, quite a long time after I judged it. Very very hard. Very fun. I really loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw the clip of that when they were showing all the nominees on the night, and that did look great. Just the idea of, like, are you basically controlling, like, the Roomba to defend the home from intruders? You are. You've, you Not just defend, you've got to actually kill the intruders, yeah. and then at the end, mop up as much of your handiwork as possible, <laughs> and you get a rating on how much blood you've managed to vacuum away. Before people get home, it was really, really fun. But look, I think the other thing that struck me was just the breadth of different games. You know, these were, you know, really fun uh, mobile games. These were detailed PC games. They were everything in between. Um, It's an incredible industry and an industry we should be significantly proud of. Yeah, absolutely. This is just uh, like I really felt like this year was so strong for what was up in lights there. And I mean, well, quite frankly, the last like five years has actually been amazing and everything that's kind of winning awards is internationally successful. Um, you know, it's just spectacular stuff out of this industry right now. Um, and also just how like it's just such a lovely community vibe. And also, yeah, total shout out to uh, Jordan Raskopoulos who hosted uh, the awards night and her Twitch channel is nuts. So, you know, she officially was hosting it on the IGEA channel on the night. And then basically it was like the after party was essentially on her channel because, um, you know, she ran a, a Twitch raid, which means you, know, you basically send everybody who's currently watching one channel to go and watch a new channel. So they raided over to her channel. And then, like, there's... Ordinary Twitch people, and then there's people like her who are, you know, completely amazing comedians as well. Yes. Um, she has setups, which means, you know, in one moment, as much as she's still sitting there in the same seat, she's riding a luck dragon. She's hilarious. <laughs> as she she's... chats to you. Or she's sitting in the car in Street Fighter that, get, that you beat up in, like, uh, that uh, part of the what? weird level in between levels where you have to beat up a car. Um, all these just amazingly chaotic crazy things and so it meant as much as it had to go online um i think they did a great job of creating this format that felt very much 
it belonged to the gaming community in that sort of way that you know it, it felt like this is what gamers do when they're hanging out together online now so let's do it that way and i think in that sense it was great that it wasn't just like another zoom meeting yeah look really keen to hear that that went well and you know you and i've talked a lot about how these kind of events are going to work it's great to hear that this one did the whole love for the games industry kind of takes me to something i did want to touch on not quite a tip but more of a shout out Dan Golding, of course, ABC employee as well. You can hear him chatting uh, about movie music if you ever listen to ABC Classic, which I do quite regularly. Dan Golding, who did the soundtrack for Untitled Goose Game, again, while we're talking about international hits, he's picked up an ARIA nomination for that soundtrack. Had you heard this? Yeah, this is this is just so cool. Um, we were trying to double check before we wrote it up, but he was saying he thinks it's the first time a video game soundtrack has been nominated in I this soundtrack category. I think it is, category. from what I can see. Yeah. So he's up, he's up against some other movie soundtracks, but yeah, this might be the very first time a video game soundtrack has been up for an ARIA. It is a beautiful soundtrack. I think they even gave it a vinyl release not that long ago. Yeah. It's absolutely clever. And so congratulations, Dan. Um, hard work getting recognised. Yeah, and look, if anybody was going to score this kind of victory, you know, I would have put money on the idea that Dan Golding will be the first Australian to write a game soundtrack that gets nominated <laughs> for an ARIA. Yes. Oh, you know what? Maybe, um, uh, what's his name? Mick uh, Gordon, who did the Doom soundtracks, actually. You know, ah. that um, but I always, like, because he wrote these, like, based on Debussy airs, you know, like, he's just so knowledgeable about music and music history. And the soundtrack to that game is so perfect. Uh, you know, just spectacular stuff. It's really, really lovely to see it recognised in this way. Just brilliant. Congrats, Dan. Congrats, Dan. I look forward to uh, calling you Dr. Dan Golding ARIA winner next time I see you. <laughs> yeah, what letters do you put after somebody's name when they're an ARIA winner? Uh, legend? ARIA L. <laughs> A-R-I-Ariel. Ariel. Ariel, yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got a tip for me? Um, I I do today, if you have always avoided World of Warcraft all your life, <laughs> many have, and that's fine. You don't have to go there. But today has actually turned out to be the pre-patch day for the Shadowlands expansion. So what the pre-patch means is you know, we've had the last two years, because it r works roughly on a two-year cycle, uh, in the Battle for Azeroth expansion. Uh, and then the Shadowlands expansion is coming out in a few weeks' time. Before that sort of first day of all the new uh, activity kind of kicking off and you can start levelling up your character all over again, they have this window where they move the game onto all of the new mechanics that it, it's going to run on for the next oh. uh, the next few years. Um, and so today it's gone to essentially version 9 of the game in terms of its you know actual number that you see hidden in the corner. Um but this is the biggest change ever in the history of the game because they have completely, for the first time ever, they have squashed all the character levels down. So the maximum level yesterday was 120. Today, the maximum level is 50. And through that change, what they've done is then revamped the entire new character experience. So if you are like brand new and you've never, ever played World of Warcraft before, it doesn't feel as daunting to get all the way to where the latest things are happening in the game. Uh, and then 
if you have played before, you're given the option to actually do this kind of, essentially they call it like time shifting type stuff. And they've even given it, you know, like in game, uh, there's these, uh, the chrome, the bronze dragons are like they control time and so you can go to one of the bronze dragons and say actually i want to on my next character like i want to play through as if i'm playing mists of pandaria as the like the era of the game that i want to level up my character within and so then right because basically the current system has been you have to chop and change and you just do a few levels in all the different bits because you kind of go too fast. So you never see the full story of any part of the old game. Got it, got You're it. You're just kind of doing quests, you know. So this change actually means that you'll get to choose, like, I want to do the Arthur's Lich King storylines from, you know, 12 years ago. Or I want to do, you know, the, the current storyline, Battle for Azeroth, but instead of needing to do, you know, six other old expansions before you get there, your character, once you hit level 10, will just jump straight into the current storyline. And then you're you're catching up with your friends really quickly. And even the idea of how long it will take you to get from level 1 to level 50, they're saying it's actually only in the order of like, you know, 10 to... Even if you're going slowly, I'd say it'd be like 20 hours, which in the old way... It That's would have been absolutely like days amazing. and yeah. days, you know, probably 60, 80, 100 hours, stuff like that. So it's made it so much nicer for people to come in, feel like you have a real experience with the storylines, and then you're caught up to what's about to happen next. So um, huge revamp. And then even just really nice things like all of the character races have like all these new customization options. So in the game, there's barbershops and you can go and visit there and like get just completely overhaul how your character looks all over again. And they've also changed uh, the gender swapping system so that actually you can do that for free as well. So um, really made it easy for people to completely be flexible with their characters. Um, I'm actually going to write up a piece in the next couple of days about the fact that I kind of wish they also included pronouns in that because I recently made kind of an androgynous character um, that I named Bowie and it was this sort of elfin character. And I was like, I actually, I think I want that character to be they, them, because it just felt like, it felt weird for me the way I made the character to then be going through, you know, dialogues where it was referring to me, um, you know, as a specific gender in a way. And it was like, man, it would have been as part of this overhaul, a really handy thing to just say, you know what, that doesn't matter either. You can choose your pronouns alongside the gender that you present as. And I thought that would have been a really kind of interesting thing to to offer to people. So I'm going to write that up because I think that might be a fun thing to throw at Blizzard as a simple tweak that they could add to the game as well. I look forward to reading that on Byteside, of course, along with everything else you've been doing, uh, which includes a number of other podcasts. Yes, um, there's lots of new stuff. <laughs> Thanks for helping you remind me about stuff for people. Um, all of that stuff, of course, yeah, you can get at biteside.com. Uh, we've got plenty more over at Jetpacks are overrated. And we've got, uh, what are the other shows? The Game Table <laughs> and High Resolution. I'm so bad at this. Um, you know what? Please, though, people, I, I'm not going to beg you. Look, I'll beg you. If you like this show and you like this, think of one person that you know that you're like, you know what, they might enjoy this too and and encourage them to go and download it and check it out sometime. Um, not this episode because, you know, this maybe this was a bad one. One of those other good ones that we did. <laughs> I 
think this is a fine, fine episode, but we should probably wrap it up. Seamus, yep. uh, in addition to where we just said, where else can people find you? Yep, I'm at Seamus on Twitter, and people can find at Byteside and at The Byteside on Instagram and Slash Byteside on Facebook and ask at Byteside.com on the emails and Byteside.com on the internet if you still use that. Um, Nick, where can they find you? Look, if you want to hear me do my day job, you can grab the ABC Listen app. I'm ABC Western Plains. You can hear me from 6.30, 10 o'clock every morning, Monday to Friday. Otherwise, find me on Twitter where I'm kind of having a little time off. I'm just retweeting people more than anything else. I'm at at dr underscore Nick. That's Dr. Nick. Nice. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you again soon. Mm-hmm.